making the uh, tech team earn their pay today. We are in a series uh, talking about wisdom, uh, particularly in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And so if you want to go ahead and turn there, the book of Proverbs can be found after the book of Psalms. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the one, uh, should be one in front of you there. Uh, our text for today will be on page 533. Uh, and as we talk about wisdom, I want you to remember our, our definition for what wisdom is. Wisdom is the skill of living well in God's world. The skill, right, that means it's not something that you're born with. It means it's something you have to learn. It's a skill, and it means you're always growing in it, of living well in God's world. That means that uh, you can have knowledge, right, and that's really the... The reason that I wanted to pursue this series and talk about wisdom, because uh, wisdom is something we lack. And I don't mean just in the, in the world out there, but in the church in here. That it's very possible for us to have knowledge, even, even a knowledge of the truth, but to be unwise. And to not know how to apply that truth. It's very easy to be right in all the wrong ways. And so it's wisdom that teaches us how to live, how to take the truth of God's word and apply it in all of the different circumstances. Uh, and these first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, they're, they're really a series, we might say there's a ser- they're a series of sales pitches from a father to a son, encouraging, the father encouraging the son why wisdom is good and why it needs to be pursued, why he needs to learn it. Uh, and today we're going to look at the very last sales pitch. And it's a picture of two rivals who are vying for our attention, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And so let's listen in to Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars She's slaughtered her beast, she's mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. She says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. 
And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, would you again help us to prick up our ears and to listen and to heed the right call, to heed your call and to receive life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we were growing up, we had a, uh, a playroom in our basement, and in that playroom there was a bookshelf. And on that bookshelf we had a series of books called Choose Your Own Adventure. Anybody familiar with these books? They're pretty awesome, right? Um, what you would do, right, the book basically it allowed you to choose the path you would take. You'd read a section and it'd give you a choice at the bottom and you had to pick this page or that page. And hopefully it would turn out well. So let's, for instance, let's say you're, uh, you're reading a book called Lost in the Jungle, right? And you're, you're running from the bad guys and you come to a river. And it gives you the choice, right? If you want to swim across the river, turn to page 35. If you, would want, if you want to swing on vines across the river, turn to page 52. And you choose uh, to turn to page 35. You want to swim across the river, so you, so you turn the page to that option, and you find out that you got eaten by alligators, and you're dead, right? End of story, you got to start over. Now, here's what I would do. I would leave my thumb on that page, right, that made me choose, and I would go check out my options. We call it cheating, right? I'd see... I would see how it turned out before I made my decision, right, even though I'd technically already made it. Um, and the only reason that, that got tricky because it wasn't always a one and done. Sometimes you had a couple of choices and you still end up poorly. But um, today, uh, in, in this last invitation, we're being invited, uh, invited to choose a path. We're being invited, invited to either choose wisdom or folly. But here's the thing. The author tells us the end of both. Before we even make the choice, he tells us how it's going to go. He tells us that if we choose wisdom, we'll receive life. And if we choose folly, it will end poorly. That, that folly is a death trap. And so the, the point is really pretty simple. Foolishness is a death trap. Wisdom is leads to life. And so in that respect, it's a no-brainer. So why do we continually choose folly instead of wisdom? Why, right, I said that the point is simple, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. Something can be simple and not easy, and then that would be the case here, right? Wisdom and folly make similar promises, but only wisdom Leads to life. So we're going we're gonna to look uh, at this passage really with two questions. First, who will you listen to? Whose voice will you listen to? And then second, who will you be? Who will you listen to? And who will you be? First, who will you listen to? Uh, we have two voices that are calling us here. Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, and so what I, what I want to do is just, and 
is just lay these out next to each other, lay these two options out next to each other, and compare and contrast them. First, let's look at their characters. What's wisdom like and what is folly like? Well, verses 1 through 3 show us that wisdom is diligent and hardworking, right? She's a, she's a creator. She's built her house. She's carved seven pillars. And if you have seven pillars in your house, it means you've got a big house. Uh, so she is a diligent and hardworking woman. Not only that, she's working hard down in the kitchen. She's preparing a rich feast uh, for her guests, a feast of meat and wine. And she's sending out her servants to invite people to that feast. On the other hand, we see folly. And what is she doing? She's sitting. She's just sitting at the door of her house. We see in verse 13 that she's loud. Riotous would be the fancy word. She's a partier. She's simple, deceptive, and knows nothing. Not that she possesses no knowledge, but she possesses no moral knowledge. She has no moral compass. She's full of noise. We might say that wisdom is substance and folly is all hot air. What about what they have to offer? You may have noticed that they both make exactly the same invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. So both wisdom and folly invite us into their homes. Now, the word for simple, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the, remember that the word for simple means to be undecided, uh, gullible, Somebody who is uh, easily influenced. That's why Proverbs is directed to the young. No offense to my teenage and kid friends, but uh, this book is actually designed for you. um, Because you have yet to make up your mind. You are in the position of being influenced. That's what it means to be simple. You are easily influenced and therefore need to find the right guide. And so both wisdom and folly invite those who are simple to come into their homes. But then beyond that, what each lady offers is different. We see that not only is wisdom diligent and hardworking, but she's also generous. Her feast is elaborate. This is a, this is a big dinner party. She set the table and she has good meat and good wine to offer. She's generous. Whereas folly... What does she have to offer? She offers bread and water. And not only does she just offer bread and water, but it's also stolen. So not only does she do nothing for it, or not not only is it just bread and water, but she does nothing for it. She's taken it from somebody else. But notice how she sells it. Look at verse 17. She says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What's she doing? Well, she's appealing to our sinful natures. Right? This, this gives rise to an important principle for us to realize. Uh, we would not sin if we didn't enjoy it. Sin is enjoyable. We wouldn't, otherwise, we wouldn't sin. Right? The, the, we, if we were not already bent in the direction of enjoying illicit behavior, we wouldn't go that direction. It wouldn't be a temptation. In other words, sin is enjoyable. 
Uh, if the sinning didn't feel good, we wouldn't do it, right? It feels good to hit your sister in the moment, doesn't it? feels good to hit your sister. It feels good to shout at your brother. Maybe that's reversed. Maybe girls shout at each other and boys sit. I think it goes both ways, though, right? If it didn't, you wouldn't do it. When I, when, uh, I was in high school, I was so mean to my younger brother. Uh, I was the oldest, and uh, I had to drive uh, my younger brother, Carrie, to school. He was only a couple years younger than me, so by the time I had my license, he was in high school with me. And so I would make it, make it my plan. I would get out to the car before him, and then I would just lay on the horn. He was always running a little late, and I would just lay on the horn. I was an obnoxious, mean-spirited older brother, right? And I did the same thing to his friend who he had to pick up on the way. Why did I do that? Because I liked it. I liked being in a position of control. I liked having something over him. That's why I did what I did. Why does gossip feel so good? Why does it feel good to talk about someone else? Because it moves us into a higher position, doesn't it? It puts us up here. makes us to feel superior. And we like feeling superior. It feels good to look, look down on people because it elevates me. So yeah, sure, it's just bread and water, but it's stolen bread. It's secret, or it's secret bread. It's stolen water. Right? There's something about the illicitness of it that makes it more enjoyable to us. We like to sin. But what's the result? Folly lures us in with this sweet offer but we don't realize that we're actually being led to slaughter like a cattle being herded down a chute on the way to its death no idea right seemed like a good idea to follow to, to, to go this way until we get there and realize that it's death and what that tells us is even though sin is pleasurable at the moment it doesn't last long right it felt good to try and control my brother. But that illusion, but that, that was an illusion, right? I wasn't actually controlling him. And what I did was only create distance between us when we really needed each other. But instead, I attempted to control him. That felt good, but the result was that I pushed him further away. Not good, right? I brought death to our relationship, right? It, it feels good to vent, to let that angry volcano erupt on people until you realize the scorched earth that you've created, the death that you've brought to the relationships around you. Right? It's, it's the cycle of addiction. If you're familiar with this, we have lots of studies on how addiction works. So if this is kind of your baseline for normal um, whatever the substance is, whether it's pornography or heroin or meth or whatever, what happens, you, you take a hit and it causes a spike. Those, those brain chemicals make you feel good, and so you go up and you feel good up here. But then there's a crash, and you notice you go down below the baseline. So now it requires more to get up. But the problem is because you started lower, you can't get as high. And then the crash goes even further. Right? It feels good, but it leads to death, so much so that the repeated pursuit creates 
less pleasure, and more death. Now, listen to what wisdom promises. Look at verse 5. Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways, and live and walk in the way of insight. Not only does wisdom offer something richer, better food, but she says that when we eat it, we will what? We will live. She promises life. Now, what's the condition? She says, leave your simple ways. Or, depending on how you translate it, leave the company of the simple. There's a, there's a leaving that has to take place. You have to leave simplicity to come into wisdom's house. There's a leaving, and we call that, that's what we call repentance. But I want to I add something, or I, I, I want to be careful in how we look at that, because religious people are kind of goofy. Okay, I'm speaking, speaking to the religious among us. We're very good at saying no. And even imagining that the life of following God is all about the no. It's all about saying no. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Nope, don't do that either. No, 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 no. But I want you to see that what wisdom offers is not simply a no. You've got to say no to simplicity. You've got to leave that behind. She offers a better yes. Y'all, Christians, we make following God look, look about as exciting as watching paint dry. Right? We have a tendency to make people think that following God is this kind of is this like stark, barren landscape of always saying no. Rather than delighting in and enjoying God. And what wisdom offers us is a life of satisfaction, rich food, and joy and fulfillment. So I'd have to ask, Christian, where is your joy this morning? I talk with people a lot about following Jesus. And it's, not, it's, it's, it's pretty often that I hear, you know, if I have to say, well, you, you know, let's, let's talk about your walk. There's this kind of performance guilt that people always feel. It's like, yeah, you're right. I need to stop doing this and start doing that. Good grief. I don't know why anybody would want to go down that road with you. Right? Jesus offers us a better yes. Like we actually live and believe that that is a better yes. Let's just take, let's take uh, Sunday, for example. Right? Um, there's probably there's probably no commandment more ignored than the commandment to set apart one day in seven as a day of rest. Six days you shall do all your labor, but but the seventh day is a day of rest. Now, by the time we get to Jesus's day, what had the a day of rest? Doesn't that sound good? A day to cease, to stop, to let God run the world, and you can just worship and rest. Doesn't that sound beautiful? But by the time Jesus came along, what the Pharisees had done is they had made somehow, and this is what we do, religious people, somehow they had made the day of rest a burden. They had said, all right, here's all the things you can't do on the day of rest. Right? Jesus says you tie up commandments and lay them on people's backs like a heavy burden. That's not what the Sabbath was meant to be. Jesus even said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a day of rest and delight. One old hymn says, a day of rest and gladness. 
where I don't have to work, but I get to simply worship with my fellow, with my family members, and I get to rest in God's goodness. That's what the Sabbath is designed to do. It's just one example of how we tend to harp on the no when really we should point to the better yes. All right? So back to, uh, back to this text. Wisdom offers a better yes. Right? How much, how much richer would my relationship with my brother have been if instead of honking at him to vent my anger, I just quietly served him by getting his backpack and helping him get to the car? What if I'd done that instead? How much, how much would that have changed the dynamic and even given life to our relationship? That would, have been the, that would have been the course of wisdom. So wisdom offers real life and satisfaction. Folly offers only temporary pleasure, which leads to death. And so the question for us this morning is, whose voice will we listen to? Who are we going to follow? But there's a second question that's addressed in the text, uh, and it's connected to the first. And it's this, who will you be? You may have noticed that between these two invitations, between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly in verses 7 through 12, there's this section that teaches us what kind of person we want to be. What kind of person is it who listens to wisdom? And we see that it's not the scoffer, right? Who is the scoffer? Well, the scoffer is a a proud, smug, close-minded, self-satisfied person. He ignores wisdom. In fact, verse nine says that if, uh, excuse me, verse seven says if you correct a scoffer, you're going to get abuse. If you try to reprove a wicked man, you will incur injury. That the scoffer not only does he ignore and reject wisdom, but he actually attacks people verbally or physically who would seek to correct him. He is so assured of himself that he will actually attack you if you try to correct him. He's the cynic, right? He sees through everything. He's all, he's all, he always knows. He's always the guy in the know. He's in, he knows it all, so there's nothing to teach him. That's the scoffer. He shut himself off to wisdom. And therefore to God. He is unteachable. And you can't teach an unteachable person. On the other hand, you have the wise person. And what does it say about him? If you reprove a scoffer, verse 8, he'll hate you. But if you reprove or correct a wise man, he will love you. Right? So he's humble. He's not gullible, but he's humble. He's open to receiving correction. He's teachable. In fact, he loves it. He sees everything as a growth opportunity, right? He's always growing, always learning. Verse 9, if you give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser. He will increase in wisdom. Teach a righteous man, he will increase in learning. So ask yourself, 
Am I the cynic? Am I the scoffer? Am I the grumbling complainer? Or am I the humble grower? Uh, Dr. Harold Best was a professor at Wheaton College, a music professor. But he said this line, I love it. He says, a mature Christian is easily edified. So so a mark of maturity means that you are willing to listen and ready to grow. You're easily encouraged. You're easily edified. And the implication would be that an immature Christian is somebody who's not easily edified, somebody who's always looking for the whole, somebody who's always looking for what they're not getting. That's the cynic. That's the scoffer. And so only one of these, of course, listens to the voice of Lady Wisdom and finds life. And so the question for us is, who will I be? Who will you be? I must uh, confess that I tend towards the former. I have a hard, cynical heart that rejects humility and tends to see the worst in in other people and in circumstances. So what hope is there for me? How does, how does a cynic become wise? Well, look at verse 10. Once again, this repeated phrase, I believe now for the third time in uh, this opening invitation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The way we open the door to wisdom is to see God for who he is and listen to his voice, to fear him, to give him that reverential awe and respect and love that he deserves. And as we fear him and listen to him, we become humble. Right? Our hearts are softened. We become humble. Our ears are opened. We're teachable and we're ready to listen. And we gain in wisdom. And the reason that is, is because the voice of wisdom is actually Jesus' voice. Jesus is wisdom, right? He is the one who offers a rich feast and welcomes us to his table. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a story about a man who gives a banquet. But when he sends out the invitations, the first guest that he's invited They give all these lame excuses as to why they can't be there. They ghost him. You know, if you want to ghost Jesus, it's a bad idea. And so what does Jesus do? He sends out his invitation to the lame, the cripple, the poor, the beggars. So all these people who don't belong in the banquet hall, he says, bring them in. Jesus is wisdom. He's this lavish, generous, diligent wisdom who welcomes people who don't belong to his table. Friends, that's the offer of the gospel. You and me are the simpletons. We are the people who need God's life-giving wisdom. And in order to receive it, we actually have to acknowledge that we're simple. We have to acknowledge that we're poor and blind and lame and that we have nothing to offer. 
Here in a few minutes, we're going to come to the Lord's table, and we're going to receive from him life-giving bread and life-giving wine. But we don't come to the table bringing anything of our own but sin and shame. Right, the old hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. That's us. That's the requirement for coming to the table. That we would acknowledge we come empty-handed. Well, technically I don't come empty-handed. I come with hands full of sin and shame. And Jesus takes it on himself. And he bears it to the cross. We sang it already. It's nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. That's the offer of the gospel. That's how we come to the table. And so this morning, let me ask you, whose voice are you listening to? Who will you be? Will you receive the wisdom of Jesus? Will you hear his invitation? Will you turn from your simple ways to him and come to his table? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your richness. We thank you for your generosity. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being humiliated. For walking in our shoes, but instead of going into the house of folly, you rejected her offer and you repeatedly chose wisdom. You looked at our enemy Satan, when he offered false promises, things that sounded good but led to death, and you said, no. You chose the path of wisdom. You chose the path of holiness. And then, Lord Jesus, you were humbled to the point of death on a cross where you took all of our folly, you took all of our sin and shame, And you bore it before the Father. You experienced the death that we deserve so that we could experience the life that you give. Oh Lord, this morning I pray for those who are on the fence, still trying to figure out, will I I follow Jesus? What will that mean? What does it look like? Lord, would you... Open that person's eyes to see the death that awaits on the other side and receive the life that you freely offer. And Lord, for those who maybe have walked with Jesus for some time, may we not take wisdom for granted. Help us to not become the scoffers, those hard-hearted cynics. But would you humble us? Keep us humble and teachable before you. Again, that we would always listen to the voice of life. Father, we pray uh, for the needs within our church. Pray particularly for Fred's dad, Jim, uh, who's suffering with Alzheimer's. And uh, Lord, they need to make some medical decisions. I pray that you would give... Fred and Tammy wisdom as to how best to love and care for him. I want to pray for Phyllis Kofer. She awaits back surgery. Lord, that you would bring her relief, uh, that she would be able to uh, see the doctor soon, uh, and that you would bring healing to her body. 
Lord, we pray again for uh, our friends, the Vincents. Uh, Lord, we pray, still pray, Lord, that um, you would heal Neil's body. Uh, but as it looks as though he's in his last days, I pray that Jennifer and Ivy and Clay and Bailey and Zach would know your steadfast love. Lord, that you would draw them close to yourself and that they would feed on your mercy, that they would live on your mercy and compassion. Lord, as we celebrate today uh, the birth of our country, Lord, we pray that you would heal her divisions, that you would give us wise leaders, men and wisdom, men and men and women who listen to your voice of wisdom, and who instead of death and strife and division offer life. Lord, would you help us to be those people who are able to speak life into a hostile and divided country. And Lord, we pray for our world. We pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe. May we learn from them. May we grow in grace as we listen to them. Lord, as they particularly those who uh, suffer persecution, God, we pray that they would stand firm, that they would remain steadfast under pressure, and as a result, that they would bear a beautiful testimony to you. Lord, now as we approach the table, your table, we pray that you would take common bread and common juice, and that you would set it apart for that spiritual and supernatural purpose, Lord, that you would uh, help us, that you would feed us uh, simply on your word, but that we would remember uh, what it is you have done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.